Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. My name is Hua Chen Bui. I'm a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in New York. And I'm joined by only one of my co-hosts today. It's me, Willoughby. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. Anya can't join us today because she is currently recovering from jet lag from her whirlwind adventure in Japan that she's had for the past two weeks, I think. Yeah, she's been there for the past two weeks visiting, visiting her girlfriend. Anya, recover, get well soon so we can go back to being the three co-piloted Millennial Falcon. Yeah, one of us mans the guns, and so right now we're just sort of flying flying in space without, without armory. It's, we're very unprotected right now. Of course. But we happy... will be attacked by aliens. Aliens. And what a segue into that. Um, so we're a Doctor Who podcast now. Uh, <laughs> that's it. That's all we're going to talk about. Yeah. Um, we're... Happy New Year. We're now like, retitling ourselves to uh, Doctor the Who Falcon. Tar- <laughs> the, the, Tartar Who, the Tartar Who Falcon. Uh, the Millennial Tartar Tartus Falcon. I don't know. Um <laughs> So we're we're talking about Doctor Who again. We're gonna do kind of like a season eleven review and New Year's Day review, sort of like our initial thoughts on like our like overall thoughts on the season, and sort of kind of like dive into the New Year's Day special. Uh, this year, instead of a Christmas special, they did New Year's, which is yeah. sort of different. It's different. At it's first, new. I think it was I think it was reported that there they it wasn't they just weren't doing a Christmas special. Yeah. And then they announced they're doing a New Year's Day special, which yeah. I was like, huh. I kind of, I kind of miss the Christmas Day special though, because watching on New Year's has a different has a different feel, you know. Yeah. Like Christmas, you're at home with your parents. It's Christmas Day. You're still in that like holiday mood. Whereas New Year's Day, you're like, I have work the next day, and yeah, I'm hungover. A lot of people have work on New Year's Eve and then work on the second, so mm-hmm. it's sort of like a day off randomly. Mm-hmm. Whereas Christmas is sort of like you know in the it's at the beginning of the holidays and whatnot um and also yeah it's it i just watched it today instead of watching it on new year's because i was flying back from arizona on new year's so i didn't get a chance to watch it until now um but, but um let's save our reaction to the new year's day special for a little later in the episode we'll do like a deeper dive into it um but let's talk about our preliminary thoughts on season 11 which introduced jodie whittaker as the 13th doctor and the first female doctor um you guys probably know like my thoughts because i've raved about doctor who so much but i want to know what willoughby thought because he finally finished season 11 yeah so while in our initial episodes of doctor who are sort of like retrospective and sort of the review of the first episode of the season my girlfriend and i were making our way through a doctor who rewatch and uh on Christmas break while we were in Arizona, we finished season 11. Um, and then, uh, so like I'm now caught up with the rest of the world on Doctor Who. And I want to say that I'm a big fan of Jodie Whittaker and a big fan of the 13th Doctor and a big fan of what they were doing with this season because I feel like it's a solid, soft reboot, sort of like what we saw with Moffat and Russell T. Davies before, sort of like how with a new Doctor and a new showrunner at the same time, things sort of changed um, in a big way. I feel like when Matt Smith uh, went into Peter Capaldi, because Stephen Moffat was still a showrunner, it was still very much like the Stephen Moffat show, whereas with the transition of um, uh, 
Stephen Moffat into Chris Chibnall and uh, Peter Capaldi into Jodie Whittaker, we sort of had a situation with David Tennant turned into Matt Smith, where it's sort of like a, a whole show reboot, um, like new graphics, new composer, and like a whole new set of writers. I will say I do miss Murray Gold, but um, I can't remember the new composer's name. It's he, yeah, he he does he did a great job actually. He kind of grew on me later on, but uh, Murray Gold had such a great score. Every like all the musical cues from Matt Smith's era is like too good, oh. honestly. And like the final episode where he regenerated into the Thirteenth Doctor, um, like basically Murray Gold was just running through his play his playlist of all time great songs. Mm-hmm. Like especially during the the um, uh, regeneration scene, like you heard Doomsday uh, and like all these different themes that you haven't heard in, in the past ten years, and sort of like after doing a rewatch everything it was real emotional like yeah. oh my gosh um but the we're on to season 11 doctor number 13 or 14 for those of you who count the war doctor um 14th third sorry 13th doctor she's great and i liked um the episode i liked that the episodes were tackling things that they hadn't tackled before such as race and specifically like white people versus like the whole civil rights era because like mm. doctor who's dealt with race in the fact of it being like two warring alien races as sort of like they kind it, of hand wave a lot of actual real life issues away yeah and i thought it was also very interesting that we went to uh like pakistan and india and into a country that you know uh, we've never been to in Doctor Who because they either go to America or England, and that's about it. Um, I think they go to like the Arctic sometimes, and like you know, nondescript like lands in, in on Earth, but they never really do an episode set outside of the UK or the US. And I'm 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 glad that they did that, especially because it reckons with Britain's past, mm-hmm. something that I feel like they don't also do, like like. The, there was the Rosa Parks episode and there was the um, Pakistan episode. And I feel like those two are uh, interesting in a way that Doctor Who has never been interesting before because Doctor Who has usually tried to do sci-fi as um, metaphor mm-hmm. in term, instead of actually dealing with the actual issue. It's kind of going back to the original roots of Doctor Who when it was first created in 1963. It was supposed to be an educational, like more historical show. And it really didn't have that many sort of sci-fi twists as it does in modern day Doctor Who. It was more just like the Doctor showing up and his companion showing up in like some um, era in the past and dealing with the problems of that era and that the issues of that era. And aliens don't really factor in that much until like the more recent um, modern show. Yeah. Um I I think I thought it was very uh clever like the Amazon episode or mm. I guess Kerblam but it's called it they basically like it's future Amazon future space Amazon. Mm. Um I thought that was an interesting episode because I thought uh they're just the robots are scary as hell because they look like they look like 50s uh salesmen mm. and I'm like I don't want that at my door. What did you um, think of um of the season 11 like finale that wasn't the new year's uh resident user day new year's oh, day special um i i liked it i thought it was in, i thought it was uh pretty good i i, I know from your slash friend reviews that you 
thought it was not great. Yeah, um, I won't. But, I'll get into my opinion after you finish yours. I th- I think because um, I think the I don't know if it's because you know you're taking a deeper look at it because you're reviewing it, but when I watched it, I was like, oh, this is fun. This I like that it's like a very uh for it being also about the destruction of the earth. It's um because it always is. It was also kind of low key and yeah. and like very like uh like. Um, small in yeah. terms of like a finale. It didn't really feel like a finale to me, which is why I, I didn't I like it. Why. Which is why like I I liked the New Year's Day special a lot more as a finale for season eleven because that was actually like I felt properly like finally this is an episode of Doctor Who, which is something that I struggled with for a lot of season eleven. I was like, this doesn't really feel like Doctor Who to me. I mean, that's sort of like the result of it being a soft reboot and stuff. But um, I'll, I'll let you go on. I'll go into my opinion later. Yeah, no. Um, I think that um, they definitely – it was definitely more like let's get out of the TARDIS as much as possible. And that sort of – she 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 used the screwdriver a, a bunch, but like I feel like not as much as the other doctors. Um, and I think that, you know, they're sort of – they're sort of – because Chris Chibnall comes from Broadchurch that's very mystery-oriented – and sort of like, I mean, Doctor Who's always been like, let's solve the mystery of this episode. But mm-hmm. I feel like they really doubled down on that in this season. Um, and But I also like that each episode was sort of its own thing. Uh, and it wasn't too much its own. Like, so my girlfriend and I were talking about season six of Doctor Who, mm. in which we believe... We kind of agree that it's the the worst Moffat season. Definitely the worst Moffat season, and probably the worst season of new of Doctor, Doctor Who. Yeah, because it's just sort of him. Like BBC gave him a blank check yeah. to do anything. It's he him wanted. indulging in his worst like writerly tendencies, and it's also Matt Smith kind of being checked out because you can tell <laughs> that he's not really into it as much after uh, Karen Gillan and Arthur Darville left because they had such good chemistry. And he's kind of becoming, he kind of becomes like the worst, most twee version of his doctor. And you're like, right. oh man, like you were so good. And now you're just kind of phoning it in a little bit. And just the whole impossible astronaut mm-hmm. sort of River Song kills the doctor and marries him on the same day's yeah. bullshit just sort of really is not great. And like the whole, like weaving in a. Oh, wait. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah. I was thinking I think about you're talking about season seven. I was talking about season. Yeah, seven. Sorry, season seven for me was the worst one. Okay, so you, so you, you're no, playing season seven. Season six, part two, is the worst one for me because that's when the the pawns leave. Right? No, that's no, season no, season seven. seven. Yeah, season seven is the worst one to me. Season six isn't as bad as season seven. See, yes, I have it reversed. Mm-hmm. Um, although season seven's bad because it should have been another season of the with Amy and Rory or mm-hmm. or give it to the rid of them at the end of season six or something mm-hmm. like spread it out because mm-hmm. I feel like. It, dividing up the season was not great but and they did that for season six as well and i i just think that trying to do too too much plot in a show that really doesn't need that much plot really hinders it Mm -hmm. so i liked that the episodes became a little bit more standalone and and a little bit less serialized yeah um which is sort of ironic considering that i usually prefer long-form storytelling in in tv shows Mm -hmm. but i also like that they went from being a long movie to a, back to being a TV show where each but episode was its own thing. I like the standalone aspect of it in that, you know, you 
you get to have you have to do like interesting more different stories and especially the historicals for this season were really good and were definitely surpassed a lot of what um doctor who has done in the past but i feel like in doing the standalone episodes you hinder some of the character development that for mm. our main uh like core tardis team which is what my issue with was with this with this season, with the eleventh season, because while I felt like Jodie Whittaker was just sublime as a thirteenth Doctor, I felt like she elevated some of the more middling episodes and definitely was able to build more on like the lack of any sort of character development for her character because it was just like kind of like, it was very episodic and very procedural in a way that like helped but also hindered the show for me because I really feel like I didn't get to know a lot of the core TARDIS. Um, members and it was a very crowded TARDIS at, at that and even when there was an episode that like focused on Yaz for example like the one that we went to India um to Pakistan and India sorry the division um I felt like I didn't really see much of her because like even though it was about her past she just kind of still abides by the whole sort of like she's kind of just like the action girl of the um of the of the team so I don't know I felt like the the procedural part, while it kind of was a refreshing from the convoluted, moffity storytelling of past seasons, it also took away what I liked most about Doctor Who and that it's like about the characters and about how they grow and stuff. And you don't really see that. Except you do see it in the, in the New Year's um, Day special because you finally get a little bit of a resolution with uh, Graham and Ryan. And Graham, I think, was a big standout for me even though I wanted to like Yaz a lot. But there really wasn't anything to her character. She was just kind of left to be, like, maybe like do give some words of support to Ryan every other episode. And that was kind of it. And I was just like, man, I want more Yaz. I want them to do right by Yaz. And that's not... Um, I mean, that was just like, I think... Uh, that they didn't have enough room for it and that was probably the case i think that's that is the and and maybe this is just sort of like training wheels like mm -hmm. rough start in terms of like they're doing something different where they're having more than two companions at a time yeah. um and the fact that it's sort of you you know if you think about and think about it in terms of script usually the doctor and the companion have the most lines of dialogue in any script and when you've already got, it's already it already gets stressed when you have two companions because it's like, well, usually one of them is going to get the most of the dialogue. And in in Moffat's case, it's Amy instead of Rory. And I feel like in this case, it was Graham. But Graham I do and Ryan, like Graham, like Graham mm -hmm. and Ryan definitely over Yaz. Mm -hmm. And I I think Graham, I feel like of, of the companions, I feel like Graham got the most mm -hmm. character development. Yeah, which is, I like him i like i like all the companions and mm -hmm. i th and i'm glad that the companions are different than who we've seen before mm -hmm. not just like the the plucky young girl gal with moxie yeah that, um, that moffat loved to lean into and do every oh, time and it was the same character every time yeah and so like we've got we had new companions we got people you know we got an older person we've got um just you know different people mm -hmm. and i like that and yeah i think that it suffers from a little bit of crowding which you know maybe they'll resolve that in in because like what i liked in the doctor who in the new year's day special which we're sort of getting around to talking about there was that long scene with ryan and spoiler alert his dad mm -hmm. which i thought was a standout moment of the really season moment. Mm -hmm. because it's sort of like a resolution that we really i think because of the lack of character development is talked about at first but sort of never really addressed until we get back to New Year's Day, and mm -hmm. I think that's just a fault of not enough time yeah. to go through every companion's backstory. Mm -hmm. 
the and the, but the other thing I want to talk about is that we're actually talking about companions' families again. Yes. Which Moffat was like almost staunchly against. Yeah, I remember he gave Clara like a boyfriend and a family because she was like basically very unrooted for the first half of her for the first like half season that she was in and the, it felt like almost like a tertiary thing like oh here you were asking where her family is here they are and then they never show up again oh very much so and like we barely we <laughs> the, there was a plot device that amy didn't have a family like that was her plot mm-hmm. de- that was like a plot issue yeah but i and think that we, worked too because that was like part of the f- season five that thing. was part of it but also like you know right away we got to meet uh jackie tyler mm-hmm. and like rose's uh not rose um martha's uh family and donna's family i feel mm-hmm. like all the all the older companions had fa- like fleshed out families that we checked in on every once in a while yeah. and to the benefit of the show, Graham is technically Ryan's family. Mm-hmm. So we got that. But we also got Yaz's family. We got to learn about her grandmother mm-hmm. specifically because of it. That was like the point of the episode was mm-hmm. to go back in time and see like where where she comes from um, and where that watch comes from, which I thought was a, I was like, well, how are they going to resolve this watch thing? And, yeah. I, and the, like the, that, I feel like that episode is my favorite episode. It was a really great season. episode. Um, um, but I will say though, I want another complaint of mine. I'm sorry, I'm making you sound like okay. I'm a Doctor Who hater, but I just had very a lot of issues with this season, and not and it's not just because I've come to forgive like Moffat's run more, even though I have my own problems with it. It's that even though this is this was a season that emphasized standalone episodes more, I feel like there were only maybe two or three episodes that really stood out. Uh, from the rest and that was my problem I was like if you're gonna focus on standalone more just like episodes that don't abide by a larger plot why aren't they stronger you know what I mean like the Pakistan India episode was great the Rosa Park episode was great Um, the witch episode was great and then like the one other one was the um, it takes you away the frog one I love that one that was probably my favorite one Um, but it felt like a lot of the episodes, especially written by Chris Chibnall, who was never really my favorite Doctor Who writer when he was writing, like, episodes. He, his episodes were always just kind of, like, meh, you know? Mm-hmm. He always kind of went by the same thing. or And, like, he always liked to do, like, the whole, um, oh, there's, like, a time limit thing, and there's, like, a couple more twists thrown in, but at the end of the day, it's always, like, the same resolution. And or it's a knockoff of a better episode. Like, his first episode, 42, was a knockoff of The Satan Pit. And I was just like, uh, Chris Chibnall, you're fine. Maybe you're better, and, like, as a showrunner. And he was like, he didn't really do anything for me. But when he gave the reins to other writers, um, that was when the show got really good. Like, uh, the latter half of season 11, when all the episodes were written by someone else, we have the Kerblam, we have the It Takes You Away frog episode, we have, like, a few more, um, like, the witch episode. I love that one. The witch episode is really good, because it deals with another thing that Doctor Who has kind of never really... Uh, worried about which is sexism yeah and it's something that like the show the season i expected to 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 uh, tackle more of because you have a first female doctor but then like for the most part it kind of just like hand waved it until the witch episode but like that latter run of season 11 where it's written by other writers was the where's where was where season 11 was strongest for me when chris Chibnall was not writing except for the new year's day special which i was very happy to do, to see that he kind of improved upon some of my complaints so 
um, with uh, my complaints set aside and my problems with the season set aside, I have more hopes for the next season of Doctor Who um, with Chris Chibnall and, and Jodie Whittaker, which will not show up until 2020. Yeah, they're really going into this whole, like, let's travel into the future bullshit. Yeah, I want a time machine now. But I have more hopes for it because, specifically because, the New Year's Day special was so strong. So the New Year's Day special, which is called Resolution, finally brought back um, an old villain after Chibnall had said at the beginning of the season, I'm not going to be using any classic villains. It's going to be all new stuff. And like, sadly, a lot of the new monsters are really lame. Like, what was it? What's his name? Tim Shaw. I hated him. And he came back at the end like, this is the worst because he is the most boring villain in the the world. He was the big bad of the season. And I'm like, okay. So he (laughs) thinks he's a god. Yeah. Sure. But he was like, he's boring. And like at first his character design is cool, but then he kind of just looks like a Power Ranger. And I was he like, does. you're really well, making him looks, the main looks, villain. He looks, like power, he looks like a Power Ranger that was like irradiated by yeah. like teeth. Yeah. It's just like, uh, if you're going to, well, my issues with the monsters aside, um, they brought back the Daleks and they made them scary. Yeah. It's something that hasn't happened really since the 2005 episode Dalek, which Dalek. was the um, episode with Christopher Eccleston, which brought the Dalek into the modern day Doctor Who and introduced it to a lot of viewers who really didn't really know uh, about the Daleks until then. And it made it scary. And this episode does the same. I think it goes to show you that one doc- one Dalek is scarier than a bunch of Daleks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because I feel like you get sort of like, you see a bunch of stormtroopers on the Death Star and you're like, well, that's just there's a it's like fodder it's cannon fodder mm-hmm. but i feel like you have a singular dalek that you can actually get a little bit of character development out of and you get sort of like the ferocity of it and like the craziness psychopathic levels of insanity mm-hmm. that you don't really see with just like a like 15 daleks in a room they're like oh that's there's a bunch of 15 daleks yeah but if you get one dalek who's like a maniacal bastard then I think that that's something interesting. Yeah, the threat is finally there. And um, you can see just, like, how much of a danger it poses when it, like, for example, wipes out an entire unit of uh, military military unit. Like, that yeah. was really frightening. And the way that it just is just, like, this relentless, um, in- invincible almost uh, force is really amazing, which made the, which made the final uh, resolution even funnier when they, like, basically just bum rush the Dalek and I'm like this is their plan it's hilarious was that a, was that a pun on resolution Did oh you mean that's to funny say res- I didn't really even I didn't even New Year's resolution that. yes I'm gonna say that is a pun sure um yeah it's sort of like she's so happy that she was able to skid across the room and I was honestly same I was like that was a really good that was, that was a really good moment. slide mm-hmm. um I think the show that was silly they just sort of like we're just gonna ram into it we're just gonna like it was a very doctor who moment which is which made me happy um, also it was, it, i was like i told my girlfriend this i was like uh i don't think there could have that could have happened with just one companion <laughs> no exactly they needed a team for that a fam as she calls them it's yeah. true it's cute i, re- I really love jody whitaker's doctor i've re- i raised about her a lot but she's just so good i think she's the best part of the show Oh, definitely. And, like, usually the doctor is the best part. Sometimes the companion will sort of be be more of a highlight. But Mm -hmm. I feel like she's got so much of, like, similarity between her and David Tennant that I feel like I just gravitate to her more than Matt Smith. Mm -hmm. Although Matt Smith definitely, by the end of his run, I was a big fan of. But I feel like she and David Tennant are almost like, 
I know they're supposed to be the same person throughout time and space, but yeah. I feel like she's the closest to David Tennant that we've seen. Yeah. In terms of like doctor personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I appreciate that. But she's also her own person. Like yeah, she's she is her, her own, own person. She's got her own personality to it. I think it, it becomes even more clear how good she is when, you know, she can elevate for more middling content like we've seen in season 11. And yeah. it's, it's she's just as watchable. It's kind of like what Peter Capaldi did because he was a, a, a doctor who really elevated some like kind of okay content and became one of my favorite doctors. So Of course. He's, I mean, he's, they're all excellent actors. Yeah. And I feel like they they can, like even Matt Smith can elevate a really bad Moffat episode mm-hmm. just because like he's charming to watch. Yes. They're so good. And that's, what, that's the whole thing about Doctor Who is like the, is really just a showcase for these actors yeah which is great <laughs> but yeah i um i really like the new year's day resolution one and um the fact that it made the daleks scary again um i even liked even the the more sitcom moments of it you know when they went into the whole uh brexit killed unit thing do you know remember oh, yeah. that with the whole poly tele they did do that person? i was like oh my gosh <laughs> it makes sense there. because like if donald trump is president Brexit probably happened too. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Unit was shut down because of Brexit just sort of like kills my heart. Yeah. But they might come back. They're just, they just said that they're temporarily on hold for now. Right. I, uh, it would have been really funny if uh, the doctor walks up to Kate Stewart's house and be like, oh, nice hair. <laughs> oh, that would be great. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah. I think that what really um, brought back this show for me and what made it feel like Doctor Who again was honestly the old monsters, even though we've, there's been like, you know, criticism that's saying that they overuse the Daleks and they overuse some of like the old, um, you know, uh, nods and, and uh, mythology and stuff. I don't really think that's, that's a thing that they have to be wary of with Doctor Who because Doctor Who is all about that history. It's a 55 year old show. There's gonna be mythology to Mm -hmm. it and honestly world building is so fun and so when you can can have the the Daleks and the Cybermen come back it's always like interesting because you know it's interesting when you could do something different with the same villains. Exactly and I think that that was where the show like really started to sing for me because all right, I'm going to go into another Doctor Season 11 complaint. I'm sorry. But it felt like for a lot of the episodes of Season 11, um, they were trying to, like Christian was trying to create, build this whole new universe that was very unfamiliar to me. Like he would introduce all these other galaxies and all these other races that we never heard of before. And while world, world building is great, it just felt very unfamiliar in a way mm-hmm. that, like, I didn't really connect with. They're like, oh, they they kept talking about all these races that I had never heard of Earth, for example. Whereas in, like, previous seasons with even the Russell T. Davies one, they talked about how, like, the great empire of, of Earth, you know, spread across all these galaxies. And it kind of bothered me that, like, that continuity was something that Chris Chibnall just kind of threw away with and then just tried to create his own thing. And I was like, I don't really want, like all these new races that also are just like humans like bring back some of the crazy green aliens and stuff and make it you know so that was just something that like kind of rubbed me the wrong way and made it feel like season 11 never really really settled in but yes bring back the old villains bring back some old nods and i'm happy again what so when we first talked about the first episode the tardis was not around Mm -hmm. because that was like a big plot point yeah uh, since then, we've gotten a good look at what the TARDIS looks like under Jodie Whitt- Whittaker's reign as the Doctor. What are your thoughts on the TARDIS? It kind of re- reminds me of uh, the first 
early season, uh, early season five, like early um, Matt Smith run uh, TARDIS. Kind of like really bright and cheery and homey. Um, and I like it. I feel like I still want to see more of it because we don't get a lot of shots of them That's in the true. TARDIS. But um, I like it I like- a lot. I like the cr- orange crystals that she ha- that the doctor has, mm. like that the TARDIS has, goes like. Yeah, those are fun. Um, it's always fascinating to see like how the TARDIS changes. I like the my favorite part is that the doorway is now three sides of the police box mm-hmm. instead of just the doors. Yeah, and I thought that was an interesting like change because usually it's just. The TARDIS op- has the tar the the TARDIS doors, yeah, and they open up into the into the real world. But now there's sort of like an entryway. Yeah, it reminds me kind of of, of like Howl's Moving Castle kind of thing. Yeah, um, it's all very. I like the TARDIS a lot. Mm. I always like new stuff, new TARDISes, and new, uh, new screwdrivers. Uh, Speaking of new things, uh, what do you think of the Daleks' new design, like his steampunk design? I quite oh, like he's it. Like, yeah, his like made of scraps Iron yeah. Man. His like Sheffield steel thing. It's really interesting to me that he's kind of made of the same material that the Doctor's screwdriver is made out of now. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I like it. I thought it was a, it was a clever way of like kind of doing a different Dalek style because mm-hmm. I feel like it it looked like an old Dalek but also it's different because yeah. it was like because it's like I think it was in the in the show it was supposed to be like one of the first Daleks to ever come to Earth. Yeah. As like a scout. So like I, probably whatever outer case of it was probably different from what we ever saw before or was close to like a, the original version of it. Yeah. Um, and I liked it. I thought it was I, I liked the how it you could see the the lights light up more mm-hmm. when that when he when he spoke instead of just the light bulbs yeah. on the head. Yeah. So I thought oh, that I was fun. that. Yeah. Um, there was like this red light that um, permeated every time he spoke. And I think. We need to talk about the fact that the Dalek can uh, possess a human. Yeah, very invasion of the body snatchers. That was very creepy. And I like that other, a lot. What other? What the other thing that I was like, I, I, so beforehand, I knew that the Dalek was going to be the enemy because, mm-hmm. like, you know, promotional material. But I thought it wasn't a Dalek at first because it didn't have the same voice actor. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, okay. It wasn't like the exterminate because even when the when the Dalek is out of its shell, it has it still sounds like voice. A, it. It doesn't sound robotic, but it yeah. sound has the same voice. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was very interesting that it was a it was a, it was like different. Yeah. And I, I was like, is it a Dalek? Is it is it a Dalek hybrid? Is it yeah. supposed to be something else? No, I liked it uh, a lot. It was very creepy and like very body horror esque. Mm-hmm. It like, was very creepy. even um a little bit Lovecraftian in a way, especially when we we first see it and it's like sprawled against the sewer walls in like almost uh, a squid like like root like fashion. And that yeah. was a really great first shot of the Dalek. Yeah, and like I think that they they did a good way of like even if you didn't know that it was going to be a Dalek, you sort of had that thought where you're mm-hmm. like, is this supposed to be a Dalek yeah. or what's going on? And then she confirms it when she does the DNA scan of it. Yeah. She's like, no, that can't be. It's so it's definitely supposed to be a reveal that mm-hmm. it's not that like we you know it was like we we're not supposed to know immediately that yeah. it's a Dalek. Otherwise, they would have treated it differently. Yeah. The way they build it up was really interesting because I like that you don't see it until like a third of the way through the episode and then the way they build it to be like this really terrifying menacing foe um with like you know the big battle and it's split into three parts it's very mythological which i liked very mythic and um it builds up the dalek to be a big a great world-threatening threat 
um, which is a good way of um, establishing how dangerous it is. And then, you know, you don't see it in its proper Dalek shell, its case, until later. And until then, we see it in, like, this body horror fashion where it's controlling um, – uh what's her lynn. name lynn 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 lynn, yeah. lynn right yeah lynn she's great too she was a really good one even though like for a long time i was like she looks just like rashida jones <laughs> really because i was gonna say um the actress uh rachel brosnahan who plays oh. uh um mrs mazel marvelous she mrs. looks Maisel. like a cross between rachel brosnahan and rashida jones yeah yeah but yeah she was great in it and she was great as like possessed by the dalek and i really loved the whole possession storyline it was great so yeah i just i like this episode a lot and uh chris chibnall has redeemed himself in my eyes um i mean he didn't he wasn't horrible in season 11, right but wasn't moffat level yeah. terrible no but he's he's definitely it, given me more hope for season 12 i think your problem is your your expectations for doctor who because i think you love the show so much <laughs> that a uh, meh banal episode is worse than a, a terrible episode i like episodes that shoot for the stars you know i like i yeah. applaud ambition over just like something that's like coherent but boring you know that's right. why like, I, that's why i'm more rather forgiving see, yeah that's why i'm more forgiving see, like, yeah you'd rather see like the big swing yeah instead of like a bunt yeah exactly so that's why i'm more forgiving of moffat and um why i like season five so much because it is a big swing um and season 11 felt like you know, they're just kind of, you know, trying to tread water rather than just dive into the ocean. So Yeah. Although but, I, I will say that I feel like Jodie Whittaker's doctor is like, she didn't tread water. No, I think she, she went out. She dived. She like, she did a cannonball. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where this metaphor is going. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, you know, there's only so many ways you can get into water. Um, <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah. Is there anything else about the show the season who's your favorite companion i want to like yaz more i like mm -hmm. her a lot i like um uh Ma what's her name uh mandip uh the actress's name yeah, the actress. i couldn't tell you i like her a lot um and i like that which the performance she gives but i want to see more of yaz basically and I, think... I want her to be more than just the action girl who's super mm -hmm. smart, you know? I kind of want to see, because, you know, it's confirmed that she's bisexual, essentially. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what if she has some chemistry with the doctor? That would be interesting. Even though the doctor seems very inherently asexual here, I think that would be really cool. It would be, I mean, it would be It would be bold. Mm -hmm. It would be very bold. Um, it would It would ruffle some feathers. Mm-hmm. I mean, and this I like... this season has already ruffled a few feathers, so. This this season is a feather ruffler. Mm -hmm. um, what about and... you? Oh, my favorite companion is definitely Graham. Mm, he's great. Uh, I think I think that it, it, he's such a different character than I think we've seen before mm -hmm. that he's like a breath of fresh air in terms of companions. And so I'm always like, I, I just like the way that he he's a man who's lived, mm. which is the opposite from what we've usually seen with companions. Usually the companions are either like 18 to 20, 18 to 35 yeah. has usually been the age range for companions. Mm -hmm. Um, like Donna was, I think the oldest companion, but, but she was still like in her thirties. So it yeah. was not like old, old. Um, so Graham being like a grandpa and being like of that, of a, a man of a certain age is a very fascinating way of bringing along someone who has already lived a, a long life mm -hmm. to live a whole second like life yeah. at, in time and space. And like the fact that the moment that in this episode, they leave him behind on accident is so fascinating because he's like almost like 
addicted to going into the TARDIS because mm-hmm. he was like, they left without me. Like he was almost jonesing for it. Yeah. I thought that was really fascinating. Mm-hmm. I thought that he's such an interesting, <laughs> he's such, just sort of like a man who was, you know, working class. He did his, he, he had a job. Yeah. He's probably retired now. And now he gets this like second chance to see the world, yeah. see the universe. It's I very- like that reading of it because I thought he just didn't want to be stuck with Ryan's dad. <laughs> Well, it could be that too, but I feel like I I read it as a man who wanted to get back into the TARDIS no matter what. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like a, a more fun version of a middle-aged crisis. Yeah, yeah. It's not it's not sad. Yeah. Um, I like that. And like we got we he had resolution with Grace's death. Mm-hmm. Um and that in the um in the frog episode. Oh, that episode's so good. It takes you away. It takes you away. Yeah, That's what he, it's called. I'm he so, was that, great it, in that when episode. I, when I watched it, it was in the middle of a binge, so we never really got episode titles. <laughs> the frog episode. I mean, that's what I think of it, too, at first. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the episode's called It Takes You Away. Mm. Um, and also, they went to Norway, which is fun. I love Norway. Yeah, that had some really beautiful scenery. The uh, episode promo that everyone was using on the reviews, and in fact, I think you guys use it, too, yeah. is that white shot of the TARDIS and the doctors and the, the companions walking up in the forest. Yeah. It looks like a painting. It's gorgeous. It's like that one singular image looks oh, like something. I would like a seen. painting of that. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, now I want that. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, um, any other like final thoughts about Doctor Who Season 11, the Doctor Who New Year's special, Jodie Whittaker? Um, just that it's all good. And... Uh, it's yeah it's, it's i'm i'm really glad i'm back into being a doctor who fan after sort of pushing it away after like once i watched the first two seasons of peter capaldi and then i just sort of got off the boat there um but i'm glad that i'm back and you, that my girlfriend's like, back too did you like peter capaldi as much as i did because like the later oh, seasons the last the season end, especially the last season he was so good so and, good. and Bill i haven't so good. i haven't really talked about it on the podcast but his his final speech totally made me cry like a I baby cried. did you cry when he was like can i rest and i was like can i have peace and i'll yeah. oh my god uh also i cried when spoiler alert when he first begins to regenerate when he's on the floor mm-hmm. and they cut too and this is something i always love in trope and like movies and tv shows when they do this trope they cut to flashbacks of every single companion mm. saying doctor yeah like 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 that sort of like i knew it wasn't going to be his last episode because they had this the christmas special to do but the fact that that was something so bold and like they almost never do f- true and try tried and true flashbacks mm-hmm. even like they just never do it so like the fact that you saw old footage from Rose, from Martha, Donna, mm. Jack, Amy, Rory, like all of those different Clara, like everybody saying doctor, just sort of like, I was like, oh yeah, there's some history here to even oh, the new episodes. I got so and emotional. And I got so emotional. And then like the whole, his whole like um, uh, final speech is just, you know, run fast, laugh hard. Be kind, just all of it. Oh my god, amazing! I, I think the I show, honestly, the show is so good. Honestly, like Capaldi was so good that he might be my favorite Doctor. I don't know. Ooh. He was so good at the end. He he elevated so much of the show, mm-hmm. and then find like the Bill season is the best season of it Capaldi, mm-hmm. if not the best season. Like I know you, season five will always be like your standard mm-hmm. barrier in terms of like great Moffat, but yeah. I feel like season 10 is also like it's so good 
really up there. Yeah. No, I, I'm not in agree- in disagreement with you. I think it's it's really great. Um, and yeah, I I I love I still like love the his his um rapport with Clara, yeah. and you know their whole like um, uh, I have duty of care thing that recurring yeah. thing, and then when it comes back at the end, and I cried, Willoughby. Yep. Yep. Oh, I did too. <laughs> I cried every regeneration. It's always so like melancholy mm-hmm. anyways uh for being emotional about doctor who i am as, still as excited we are because yeah. because we are a doctor who podcast we're not going to be talking about anything else ever never, again never so i'm wearing my doctor who shirt right now you guys can't see it i'm just showing willoughby <laughs> is that a is that a is that a delorean going into a tardis it is it's a delorean crashing into a tardis because you know they're both time travel machines that's true yeah. and they'll meet into the time vortex yeah Oh man, Peter Capaldi and Christopher Lloyd. That would be something to see. Oh, that would be amazing. Oh, they would be out grouching each other. That would be hilarious. <laughs> oh, oh my god. Okay. Anyways, let's that's a good way to wrap up our discussion about Doctor Who, Doctor Who season eleven, Jodie Whittaker, Chris Chibnall, and the New Year's Day special. Um, if you guys have any thoughts about that, please let us know. But before we uh, go into that let's go into the last segment of our episode i really 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 like you but i need to tell you something willoughby why don't you start us off what do you really like this week so in catching up with uh, award season for movies i watched three movies this week but i'll i'll only talk about the two because they they go together the other the, the first the the one that doesn't is if bill street could talk i watched mm-hmm. that and it's very good and it would be my really like as well but the ones i do want to talk about are minding the gap and won't you be my neighbor mm. two documentaries that i feel like are going to be like on everybody's top 10 lists top 10 documentaries of the year they're probably going to get awards nomination i can't remember do you know if either of them are nominated for Golden Globe Best Documentary? I can't remember. I think at I least remember. Won't You Be My Neighbor is. Yeah. I don't know but, about Mining the Gap. Mining the Gap was on my top ten list, by the way. It's on mine, too. It's like number nine. <laughs> so they're both incredible for different – because they show they show humanity at its most interesting. Because you get uh, Mr. Rogers, who is like – forever believer in the good in humanity and the good in children and how you have to treat children seriously and with kindness and with like the like the most amount of self-care I've ever seen someone like delegate as and then you see mining the gap which is about the working class and people who can't really you know who are trying their best to get out of the means of of like that they live in as well as try to be their best selves and the complications that arise with that when it comes to trying to get a job, trying to raise a family, trying to be having, have friends with each other. And like all of that combines combined with like the amazing cinematography of, of the skateboarding sort of like elevates this movie to being like something incredible, something unique in the fact that it's, you know, the director is friends with his subjects and, you know, they're best friends and, you're examining his relationship with his mother and his and his stepfather, as well as his relationship with his friends, their relationships with their parents. It's this sort of like sins of the father, you know, cycle of abuse story about friends and family that 
it's sort of everything at once, but it does it. It's such a well executed documentary that you're sort of just along th- for the ride, mm-hmm. and you're feeling all the emotions that everyone else is feeling, and it's incredible. And I hope it wins awards as well as "Won't You Be My Neighbor," which just had me in an open weeping like for in the last like third of the movie. Just it just because of the power of Mister Rogers, Mister Rogers' humanity just sort of like elevates this documentary that's basically just archival footage interspersed with uh, interviews with his son, his family and his friends who are still alive. And it's just a fascinating portrait of a man who has honestly changed America. Mm-hmm. I feel like, I feel, you know, I feel like you can't go anywhere in, in the world without like to someone like knowing who Mr. Rogers is. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the, I didn't, I was too young for this, but I didn't know that he did like these like specials like uh, after 9-11 to like sort of alleviate America's pain. Yeah. And he was, he himself was like, I don't know what good this is going to do. And everyone who was telling, everyone was telling him like, you have to do this for the nation. Mm-hmm. Like, like you're, you're the voice of, of, of humanity right now. And I was like, oh man, this is a lot. Um, and so both of those documentaries are excellent um, in their own ways and show humanity in such a interesting portrait that I recommend both. Uh, won't you be Won't you be my neighbor? Is available to rent on Amazon and Mining the Gap is a Hulu original, so you can watch it there. Um, and then if Bill Street could talk is also great and it's in theaters right now. I still need to see if Bill Street could talk and I'm so sad that I didn't get to see it in time to make my top 10 list because I'm pretty sure it would have made it by then. I think it's an amazing follow-up to mm. Moonlight. Mm. Um, well, one movie that I was able to see uh, right before I finished finalized my top 10 list will be my really like this week and that is Shoplifters. That went straight to your number one. It it's the last movie I saw before I re- made my list, and it went straight to the top. It wrecked me. It's this quietly devastating film by, um, okay, I'm not going to pronounce his name right, so I'm just going to try to read it. Um, it's a beautiful film by Hirokazu Koreda, who directed Nobody Knows, After the Storm, other quiet tender odes to humanity of of Japanese films and this is a film just like that if but if not more just like empathetic and compassionate and like I said devastating because it's this film about basically a found family unit of people who live in this one elderly woman's home and she kind of loves that they're all here because she's lonely and her ex-husband has died and she kind of doesn't want to die alone. So it's this family of shoplifters essentially who um, comprise like one couple, a um, a young teenage girl who is the like kind of niece uh, or kind of like granddaughter of the elderly woman, uh, a young boy who was found by the um, the shoplifting couple, and then a young girl that the man and the young boy find one day after one particularly good shoplifting haul, uh, who is sitting outside of her parents' patio, like, in the cold, and they decide to take her home and feed her and, you know, save her from the cold. And after a while, she just kind of folds into this family unit and uh, becomes part of them. And it's this wonderful... Just testament to to how 
to human connection and being able to choose your own family. And it's a movie that is just like brimming with utterly human emotions. It's such a good movie. It's such a, a an affecting movie. Um, I liked it so much that I don't know if I have the words to explain it, but I cried multiple times, <laughs> if that helps. Um, I highly recommend that you go to see this, um, even if it's a film about like this family that's like an object poverty, it never uh, descends into poverty porn or anything like that because it is inherently optimistic despite having a somewhat bittersweet, actually more than bitter ending. And um, I absolutely love this movie so much. It's my favorite movie of the year. Um, I really like this week and I recommend if you, it's showing near you to go watch it. It is so good. Um, that's all I can say before I burst into tears. So... That's pretty incredible considering that You Were Never Really Here was your number one for most of the year. My number one for like 10 months. And then yeah, I was like, like... Like since you saw it, I feel like it was your number one. Like, well, Paddington 2 was your number one. And then... And then You Were Never was... Really Here like shot to the top. And, and then, then for like the majority of it, I was like, okay, this is going to be my number one. And then I saw Shoplifters and I was like, wait, right. never mind. Because I, I think I was like searching through my friend's top 10 list on Letterboxd mm-hmm. and I went to yours and I was like, why is Shoplifters... Like, I thought you were never really here was your number one. But now that explains it, that you were just absolutely wrecked by this movie. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's so good. And it's not in the way that's emotionally manipulative either. It mm-hmm. just completely, like... It's just very genuine. It's just very genuine and raw and authentic. So, I love this movie. I hope you guys like it as much as I do if you get the chance to see it. I highly recommend you do. So, that's my really like this week. And I think that does it for us. Yes. What does Anya always say? If She's you want like, to talk to us. Yes, about... if you want to talk to us, you can talk to us if you have anything to say about Doctor Who, uh, Minding the Gap. Uh, what's the other one I watched? Won't You Be My Neighbor, Shoplifters. If Feel Street Could Talk. Feel Street Could Talk. Um, please let us know. And where can they do that, Willoughby? Thank you for doing that. Uh, you can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. You can listen to us on SoundCloud and you can rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play. And where can I find you on the internet? You can find me at hchanbui on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. And Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.